Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, coming up on the podcast, David Knight will talk to him about the Gimme Some Truth Documentary Festival, which is happening over the next several days at Cinematheque. Also, Dale Patco, he is a Greyhound bus driver, or I guess he used to be. We'll talk to him about his last ride. And also because it's Halloween, Dr. Bruce Olaf Solheim, the author of Timeless, A Paranormal Personal History. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please rate the podcast. And now, the podcast. So is there quite a rich history of documentary filmmaking in Manitoba? Well, I think that's what we're going to find out. You know, I mean, we've we've had uh, quite the tradition of documentary filmmaking here in Manitoba. And actually, one of the first ever films made in Canada was a documentary from right here in our province. Mm. So that's one of the things that Kevin's going to be touching upon tonight. Yeah, I am a big documentary fan. I love docs. I've said that many times on the show. I just finished season two of Making a Murderer, mm. which the first one, I mean... What makes a good documentary in your mind? For me, uh, of course, the subject matter, right? Yeah. It's got to have a story. What or, a great story, yeah. That somebody can connect to. Mm. Um, but I think also for me, a, a documentary is is a film form that can really push the boundaries of, of what is thought to be film or documentary mm-hmm. or art, you know? And, and so for me, a, a great doc really blurs the line between fiction and reality, really makes us question what is truth in art. Yeah. Well, and there's the name of the festival, right? Give me, give right. me some truth. So maybe right. talk a bit more about that. Yeah. So 10 years ago, you know, the, the festival grew up out of the Winnipeg Film Group um, as a desire to engage audiences with the documentary art form. And it was a way to offer a platform for filmmakers um, to discuss notions of documentary and methods and techniques and histories and and it's grown really since then, those last 10 years, to be quite the uh, the progressive documentary festival. And I think this year we've got a lot of films that really kind of speak to that. We have a lot of hybrid docs, um, which are combining fiction filmmaking techniques with documentary, blurring that line. Um, we've got uh, a lot of really great kind of thought-provoking, penetrative films. Yeah. Back to the highlights, David Suzuki is coming to town for it. So, I David mean, that's Suzuki. a big one, right? That's right. That's right. And and sorry, folks, tickets are sold out, essentially. So That's Friday. That's Friday. Mm. Friday night. Uh, that one we're doing off-site. We need a bigger space than the Cinematech can allow. So that's going to be at the U of W Eckhart Gramate Hall. And uh, the film is called... Um, excuse me, Beyond Climate. It's directed by a local filmmaker, Ian Morrow, and it's about uh, the impacts of climate change in BC and the ripple effect that that has in our country. And it's, mm. it's narrated and hosted by David Suzuki, and David will be here to talk to Ian after that. It's yeah. going to be incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny you talk about the festival growing up over 10 years, but 10 years ago, it was not very easy to make a documentary. I mean, mm-hmm. you had to have lots of equipment. You had to spend lots sure. of money. Now... I mean, we can all do it on our phones right. now, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. The the tools and the resources of filmmaking have been democratized, right? So we're seeing that anybody can pick up a camera or a phone, like you say, and make a really incredible film. And people are. Every year there are films coming out. Um, a couple filmmakers who have a, a new film in, in this uh, year's program called Cannibal, which is about a Japanese cannibal. It's actually playing tonight at 9, so it's a good Halloween. A Japanese cannibal? <laughs> a real-life Japanese cannibal. It's one of the most intense viewing experiences I've had in my entire life. 
Um, but this filmmaking team, uh, Lucianne Casting-Taylor and Verena Paravel, made a film, Leviathan, uh, about a handful of years ago. And that was entirely used, uh, shot on GoPros that were just mounted to a fishing vessel hmm. and various places on this fishing vessel. So we're seeing, you know, the forms and the notions of what makes a film and how a film is can be made or just being blown wide open. Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations on all your work with this because uh, whenever I get an opportunity to have somebody on to talk about a documentary or a documentary festival, I like to do it because I want to support the craft, right? Because Mm -hmm. it it really is, uh, I guess, uh, I love stories and and storytelling. It's kind of what we do every day on the air, right, in in a sense. And uh, so, so how do we try and... I'm trying to do my part to help documentary filmmakers mm-hmm. and, and, and their work. What more do you think we can do to try and, because we talk every week about Hollywood films and who's in them and how much money they've made, and but we don't mm-hmm. really talk a lot about documentary films. More now than ever, like for example, the latest one that's getting a lot of talk is the one about Mr. Rogers. Yeah. That's getting talk like a normal studio release would get, and it's a, a oh, yeah. documentary. Yeah, yeah. we we screened that at the Cinematheque to uh, great, great success and acclaim. Mm. Um, I think the biggest thing that that casual filmgoers or the everyday public can do is is just support documentary by seeing as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, come down to the Cinematheque. We've always got a regular slate of, of great new documentaries. Yeah, we're lucky to have Cinematheque here, man. Really are, yeah. really are. And I'm lucky to be a part of it. Um, I think we do incredible work there. Um, and, you know, just, just there are so many great films coming out every year. Not everything makes it to Winnipeg, but do your research. You know, there's a lot of great stuff on streaming services. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great films out there to be discovered if you just take the effort to find them. Yeah. And um, so talk about, we talked a little bit about David Suzuki and mm-hmm. some of the, but let's mm-hmm. get into the festival. Maybe give us yeah. three or four other highlights over the next several days. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we have a couple other local filmmakers that are going to be showing some new works. Um, one I'm really excited about is on Thursday at 930, um, there's a local filmmaker, Allison Stevens, who has an expanded cinema performance of a short film called Love Starved More Than Fat. And this is a project that she's been working and developing uh, over the last year or so. And it's basically her live narrating a short film that she's made um, about her coming to terms with shame over her body weight and struggles with her her physical identities. And it's the the way she narrates it live. Um, she captures that original raw intensity in the emotion, and it's just really incredible. So that's playing at Thursday at nine thirty before um, a Montreal film called Primas, which I'm quite fond of. Um, we also have uh, a visiting filmmaker from L.A., Rodney Asher, of Room 237 fame. And that's a film uh, that we're not showing, but we'll be talking about it in a master class Saturday at 12 p.m. Um, that was about uh, all the multiplicity of, of conspiracy theories around Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Mm. Um, and Rodney is going to be here to talk about that film and, and a lot of other crazy and weird gems and yeah. his, his approaches to documentary, which has often been called documentary horror we're going to be showing one of his uh, later films, The Nightmare, at 7 p.m. on Saturday. And so he's going to be around uh, all day to take in the festivities. Festivities, It's going to be a lot of fun. This is cool when you get to see the film and then, you know, hear from the people that, that made it, right? That's right, yeah. And, that, yeah. and that's part of, you know, what makes Give Me Some Truth uh, such a, a great festival is that you get to engage with the filmmakers on this deeper level, you know, mm-hmm. and you really get to hear about their craft and, and their obsessions and mm-hmm. their methods and... It's really, really illuminating. Yeah. Do Winnipeg or Winnipeg and Manitoba documentary filmmakers 
Is there something, if you were to take a couple of words to describe their work, I mean, each of them are individuals and Mm -hmm. so different, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, do you have any thoughts on our filmmakers here, our documentary filmmakers? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm continuously astonished by the incredible output, um, not only the amount, but the quality of films that are coming out every year from Winnipeg, and that's stretching back to the earliest days of the Winnipeg Film Group in the 70s. Um, we've had so many great movements of filmmakers come through uh, over the decades, and we're really we're we're known worldwide. You know, um, Guy Madden, John Pays, etc. But it doesn't just end there. Mm. And I, I'm seeing such an incredible crop of young talent coming up in the city right now. Um, a lot of the the filmmakers that um, we in the film community are most excited about are are in their early 20s or have just reached 20. So they have an entire career ahead of them, and it's really exciting. All right, uh, I want to play for you an interview now that I did this morning with a bus driver, a Greyhound bus driver. He just recently uh, took his last ride. His name is Dale Patco. And I did not realize at the time when I started chatting with him that the video he posted on his social media feed with a song was actually him and a passenger that he met while driving the bus. So you'll hear my surprise partway through, and then I had to add the song at the end once I realized the significance of it. So here is my chat this morning with Dale Patco. He's been a Greyhound bus driver for three decades, and it has all come to an end for him and everybody at Greyhound. Take a listen. This is Dale Pat Coe, chatted with him this morning. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I am great. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed your video, your last Greyhound ride. Well, thank you very much. Why did you want to do that? Uh, I just wanted to do something for the employees, something for the company, you know, that we could be proud of and uh, just to show my appreciation for the last 30 plus years that I've been there. Wow, that's a long time, man. It is, yeah. Been through a lot there, but it was a good career, that's for sure, and I'm definitely going to miss it. It was a good ride, eh? You betcha. I imagine you must have seen every part of the country. The first year, uh, first eight years that I worked at Graham, I got laid off, so I was kind of getting a little bit tired of it, so I said to my wife, I said, uh, if I if I go to work out at Calgary, I said, I could probably get about eight months out of the year there. And she said, okay, my bags are packed. So that's what we did. We sold our house and uh, moved there and worked there for two and a half years. And during that time, I spent a lot of time in Banff, Lake Louise, uh, a few charters to Vancouver, uh, Edmonton. Uh, then after that two and a half years, I came back and uh, did a little bit of work in Ottawa for one month. Uh, so I drove out of uh, Ottawa to Sudbury, uh, even did a charter out of Ottawa to Boston, Massachusetts. Hmm. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of the country, that's for sure. And what will you do now? Uh, well, there is a bus company called Maple Bus Lines that's starting up, so I'm probably going to go and uh, work for work for those guys. What's been the best part of driving a Greyhound bus? Uh, being your own boss. Not being stuck in an office all day long. 
making your own decisions, um, the challenge, the challenge of the, the road, the weather, that sort of thing. What about the people? Love the people. Meet lots of nice people on the bus. It's been it's been awesome. Uh, I got friends on Facebook uh, just because of just meeting them on the bus and having a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Has to be sad though, I imagine, for you and the other employees at Greyhound, eh? It's it's very sad when you got a company that's been around for a hundred years. Um, my dad also drove here for thirty three and a half years. Oh wow! Uh, I got the thirty years in. My dad's brother drove here for I think it was fifteen years. His son drove for Greyhound for 15 years. You're kidding. Uh, my brother worked on a, a platform um, back when he was a kid, about 16, 17 years old, something like that. So, yeah, uh, I've been on the bus since pretty much five years old when I used to go with my dad on trips. And I was always proud to work for Greyhound. Um, my dad was an instructor for over 20 years as well. And uh, when he retired... Uh, three or four later, uh, three or four years later, I was able to uh, fill those shoes, and I've been an instructor there for the last seven years. This has been a real family business for you guys, eh? Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. There's probably almost a uh, hundred years in there if you include all the patcos that uh, have been behind the wheel. Isn't that something? Well, congratulations yeah. on a great career, and I, I certainly wish you a lot of luck with your new job. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Hey, Dale, before I let you go, i got to ask you this. I'm sure some parts of the country will be fine without Greyhound bus service, but I'm sure you've been to some areas where they are really going to miss Greyhound. I, it's going to be a challenge for any new company that's starting up. Uh, Greyhound's network was huge. They took care of their uh, employees as far as uh, you know, you, their buses that were going up and down the road, they've all, you know, they were, as soon as they came into the shop, they were washed, cleaned, serviced by A1 mechanics, um, you know, union employees that really took pride in their work. And I don't know what kind of, uh, who's going to fill their shoes, basically. It's going to be a tough haul, that's for sure. The network that Greyhound had was uh, second to none, as they say. The music on your video, I'm not familiar with that song. Who is it and what's the name of the song? Um, Well, uh, Glenn Green and myself, uh, he was a passenger on my bus about two and a half years ago now. And uh, we started chatting about music and he was telling me that he was a musician and I was telling him about my YouTube channel, and uh, we just, he said, hey, if you got some time, come on over. I live right across the street in Dryden. So I got 12 hours to kill in Dryden before my bus comes again. So I would go over there, and we, you know, played a little bit of music together, and we've been kind of gelling for the last couple of years. And I said, hey, we should write a song about Greyhound before this is all over. And he said, sounds like a good idea. So last Sunday... I woke up in my hotel room and I pitched him the first three lines and I didn't have a guitar with me and he was out of town actually. Uh, he sent me a short little uh, music thing with him playing the guitar and he put the chorus together. Then I wrote another verse and I said, okay, when you come back to town on Saturday, I'll have my recording equipment with me. We'll sit down, we'll write the rest of the song and we'll record it. And so I knew that 
process was getting put into place. And then I decided to give my phone to a driver that was actually just riding the bus home from Thunder Bay. He took some videos of me driving and uh, I got the idea to throw my uniform on and uh, sit on the park bench and sing a few bars of it. So I put that in the video and it just, it just seemed to come together. Like I said, it was a little bit painstaking for me because I'm not that great at the editing part, but uh, so it took me a little while, but I got her together and I, I'm really proud of it because it does sound, it sounds awesome. It is fantastic, man. I thought that was a professionally done song by, you know, an artist that I would know the name of. So to hear that it was you guys, that makes it so much more special. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's, uh, I just put it on YouTube. I got grown men, drivers, phoning me, telling me that they cried when they watched the video, and I'm getting uh, agents from Prince George and Vancouver drivers telling me how much they've been you know, enjoyed the video. So really proud of it. And I'm happy that everybody likes it. It is fantastic. I'll tell you what, Dale, we're going to end the interview this way. You are going to introduce your song and I'm going to play it on the radio for you. Oh, perfect. That's great. Please introduce it for us. This is for all the employees, the customers uh, that I have worked with uh, and had the pleasure to haul for the last 30 years. Um, the management at Greyhound, just everybody that ever, I don't know, uh, anybody that's ever ridden on a Greyhound bus, this is for you and the drivers and the employees. All the best, Dale. Thank you very much, Helen. Wake up in a hotel room, three o'clock in the afternoon, probably leave here late again Hold some tickets and hold the line Hope to make it in on time Cause this is my last ride today This is my last ride today I'm shaking hands not knowing what to say The hounds been good to me, got me a house, raised my family. This is my last ride today. The highway I come will be gone. Memories I live on, coast to coast and small towns in between. Pull the shade halfway down Tell the people to sit down Cause this is my last ride today This is my last ride today Shaking hands, not knowing what to say This is my last ride today. My last ride. That is Dale Patco and uh, his friend, his bus buddy, Glenn Green. They wrote that song. Fantastic. And I got a text message here.
Thermal Woman, hey Hal, can't wait to hear Dale. My husband Sam drove for 30 years with Dale's dad. Retired in 97. Also drove with Dale for a bit as well. Great memories. Here's the thing about this. Whenever there's a story like this, where, you know, Dale drove bus there for 30 years. I always go back, when somebody loses their job like this, I always go back to my dad, who, when he was in his late 50s, he'd worked for the Department of Highways for many years in Alberta, and he was basically offered, take this package and go, or there's a pretty good chance you're going to be laid off. And he took the package, and I remember how let down, how he felt like he let his family down. And uh, so I've always got a soft spot for people when they lose their jobs, and... uh, I wish all of the drivers and the people at Greyhound all the best as they head into the future. It's uh, really sad when people lose their jobs, and I've got a real soft spot for them when that happens. Great job, uh, Dale. Thank you very much, and uh, fantastic that you've written the song. And again, you can spell his last name if you want to go check out his YouTube channel. It's P-A-T-K-A-U, Dale Patko, P-A-T-K-A-U. All right. I will wipe the tear from my eye and carry on. I'm such a suck. Really excited about this interview here. It's Halloween, and so we can get away with, uh, you know, focusing in on the spooky, crazy, paranormal stuff a bit. Dr. Bruce Olaf Solheim is uh, joining us now on the phone. He is the author of the new book, Timeless. A paranormal personal history, and uh, good afternoon, Dr. Bruce. Happy Halloween, Hal. Congratulations on the book, Timeless, A Paranormal Personal History. And man, have you got a paranormal personal history. Tell us a bit about it. (laughs) Well, okay, uh, I've been described as kind of having a, uh, I'm kind of a lightning rod for the paranormal. And uh, really since uh, age four, I've had uh, paranormal experiences uh, continuing up until the present and uh, this book I started writing about two years ago after a friend of mine passed away and I had a a vision of him after uh, a month after he died and he came to me and told me a bunch of stuff of what happens after people die and it kind of made me put everything into perspective that had happened in my life and I started to do a lot of research and then I started writing the book and I I wrote down all these experiences. I mean, I had kind of recorded those experiences in writing, but hadn't really shared them with anybody. And the reason for that was because uh, in my academic position, uh, it, it's kind of like academic suicide to go into the paranormal. You, you know, they find convenient ways to get you out of your position or your peers don't respect your work anymore, you know, that type of thing. So I was afraid of all that. But after my friend uh, came to me, it, I, I lost that fear, and I just started documenting it, and then I, now I've published the book, and so far it's been received very well. Well, I was going to ask you about that, because uh, you have a Ph.D., you're a professor of history at Citrus College. I mean, guys like you aren't supposed to believe in stuff like this, Bruce. Exactly, exactly. And the funny thing is, I also teach a paranormal history class, which just started this fall, so I'm going you know, full into it, you know. And I have two faculty members who are taking the class. So <clears throat> I think a, a great number of people have had these experiences but are reluctant to talk about them, except to maybe a few close friends uh, or maybe relatives. But I think a lot more people have these experiences than let on. And it, and it is something that 
<clears throat> that unites us all in, in, the, in, in the whole world. I mean, every country, every ethnicity, every group uh, has, has uh, you know, paranormal histories. It's just, you know, are, are, do we feel free to, to share these stories and try to figure it out? And that's what this book tries to do is, is help people feel comfortable with sharing because if I feel comfortable in my position, you know, and I think everybody should feel comfortable. And, and, uh, and, and the, the title itself, Timeless, is also supposed to help people realize that there is something beyond this physical life that we have. And maybe we shouldn't have as much fear of, of death. Talk a bit about that. I'm interested to hear more about that. Well, the idea is that we have this physical uh, world that we live in. And then there's the spirit world. And the spirit world is where... Uh, those that have passed on and other non-human entities uh, reside. And when we have a paranormal experience, that's, that's where that's taking place, where the two worlds kind of intersect a little bit. And uh, so, like, for instance, if, uh, if you see a, a, a ghost, it is a, a, an opportunity where the two worlds are kind of touching each other just temporarily. And some people see them and some people don't. Uh, just because some people are a little bit more receptive. Although I think everybody probably has had paranormal experience, they just don't want to acknowledge it. I've certainly had paranormal experiences for sure. I'm not afraid to say that. But you've had 34. In this book, you mentioned 34 different incidents. I think some people, though, are more open or more susceptible to these experiences. Don't you think, Bruce? I, I, I believe you're you're correct, yeah. The... Uh, and I think part of it is genetic. My mom was very psychic. She wasn't a psychic per se, but she was psychic. We used to uh, read, uh, you know, deck of playing cards. We'd try to do telepathy, and we'd be very successful. And it would make my father nervous because he was uh, a very practical, you know, blue-collar worker guy, and he, uh, he didn't like it. So he'd let us do it for a while, and then he'd tell us to knock it off. He didn't <laughs> want to accept it. But my mother... She was very good. She was really good. And I think that so I, partly comes from that and partly from, you know, just uh, at age four with that first uh, angelic experience that I had. Mm-hmm. It kind of opened the floodgates from that point on. And here we are on Halloween, Bruce. It seems like, or is it just because it's Halloween and we're maybe more uh, looking for it more, but it seems like Halloween is a busy time of the year for the paranormal. Well, I, I think you're right. There are more people that are thinking about it, probably more people that are receptive. And, and when, when all those people are thinking about something or receptive to something, that's usually when the uh, people will have some kind of experience or, or contact. And it's my, it is my favorite holiday, by the way. I, I've always loved Halloween. And uh, even as a little kid, I was never creeped out by it or, or you know felt scared. In fact, I used to take my little friends up to the local... Uh, graveyard and we'd have lunch and I always felt comfortable among you know the dead so it never really made me that frightened and I've had some pretty you know profound and some rather frightening experiences but I've always been able to put it into perspective because I I know what basically what what it is so I I know that even the really terrible things the demonic things will only hurt you if you allow them to or if you allow them into your your space or into your spirit and as long as you can stay away from that, you're, you should be okay. But how do we know the difference between the good and the bad, Bruce? Because sometimes the bad pretend they're good, right, if you believe this stuff. Yeah, well, that, that, that's true. And, and I, I just wanted to add that, uh, in fact, one of my spirit, my friend who died, uh, he's one of my spirit guides, I guess I call him. I call him a spirit friend, but uh, 
the uh, he told me that uh, experience is believing and believing is experience. So once you've experienced something, it's not a matter of belief. It's just you know it. And then once you know it, then that brings more experiences. But in terms of the, uh, you know, the evil stuff, and there is there is bad stuff out there. You, you just get a, a feeling that something just isn't quite right. Mm-hmm. So if a spirit comes to you, if you hear something, uh, you know, oh, I'm a little girl in distress and I died and you're you can just ask a couple of questions. And if it seems if you're, you know, you, you kind of get a feeling that something isn't right, you just say, hey, I'm not listening to you. Go away. And it can be really be as simple as that. Or if you're a religious person, you could say a prayer. I say prayers every day. Me too. You know, that that that's I, I think that's another good self, uh, psychic self-defense. And I think that's probably the first step is to realize that you're not helpless, that these bad things can't really hurt you if, unless you allow them to. Which is what usually when they strike is when you're at your lowest point in your life and feeling bad about yourself, and that's usually when those things uh, take an opportunity. It's like any kind of predator, you know. They don't go after the strongest animal; mm. they go after the sick, or the weak, you know, or the very old, you know, that are, uh, you know, not able to fend them off. You mentioned your spirit guide or your spirit friend. Are you able to talk to him? Like I believe that my grandmother, my dad's mother is sort of my, I don't talk to her and I don't hear her, but I believe she's around me and and helping me through difficult times. Uh, can you talk to your spirit friend or spirit guide? Yes, I do. When I take, uh, I, I take, uh, um, I, I do what I call walking meditation. That's usually when I do my mediumship kind of stuff, you know, where I communicate with those that have passed on in the spirit world. And I get myself into a zone while I'm walking. Some people do it just sitting there like, you know, in a meditative position, but I'm a very active kind of person. So I, I do it while I'm walking. I take like a four, sometimes five mile walk and I communicate with my spirit friends, um, my friend, Gene, <clears throat> and a couple other friends, but mainly, uh, mainly Gene. And, uh, I ask him questions and I, I start by, I usually start with a sentence like, um, and kind of in a uh, homage to, uh, Star Trek, I say, oh, opening up all hailing frequencies to good and kind spirits. And and that's how I start it. I start the communication. And you always mm. have to start it that way because you don't want to, you want to automatically exclude any kind of negative stuff. And usually if you say that up front, they just say, okay, th- this is not going to be an easy sell. So I'll move on to somebody else, I guess. But but uh, that's when Gene will, he'll come to me and I, I, I'll sometimes see an image, sometimes see, uh, he'll send me rather than words. Uh, that I hear, sometimes it's images, sometimes I see handwriting, you know, like golden handwriting, which is kind of unique. I think everybody's a little unique in how they receive the information, but sometimes it's extremely clear. I mean, you can hear the voice inside your head. Sometimes it's more, you know, like if you get radio interference or like those old television sets with the snow on the screen, you know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem not clear. And other times it's it just really clear and, and unmistakable. But, you know, in, in spite of that, you do have to be careful because we do have to keep one foot in this world. You can't be totally in that spirit world. Otherwise, you, you'll lose touch with reality. And, 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 and my wife, she's kind of, um, I'm not going to say a skeptic, but she's skeptical, which mm. is kind of interesting. It helps, it helps me stay kind of grounded. You know, she says, well, are you really sure? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this has happened. Hey, Bruce, this gift of yours, mediumship, this is interesting. We didn't have time to set this up, but basically I could give you a name and then you take my name and you give it some thought and talk to your spirit friends and, and then you would get back to me with information from that person that has passed on. Is that how it works? 
Yes, and it uh, and well, I just have to preface it by saying it doesn't always work, but it works quite often. It, that that it works at all is pretty mm. amazing when you think about it. No kidding. But, uh, I've done it. I've done it a number of times for you know friends and also on other radio interviews where they've given me the name beforehand, and and uh, I'd say I probably connect maybe uh, sometimes about half of the time, or maybe a little more than half the time. And then once I do connect, I, I usually do better than 50% with getting the information. And I usually ask for very specific information, like, what can you tell me about your grandson or your granddaughter or your son or daughter that only they would know, that mm. obviously I couldn't know? Well, listen, let's give this a try. Uh, this will mean a follow-up interview if you're okay with that. But let me give you a name, and uh, you know my name, Hal, Hal Anderson, and let's see uh, what you can come up with. I, I'll give it a try, a good old college try. Okay, well, uh, do uh, you want me to give you the name now? Sure. Gordon, the name is Gordon. And do you want to know the relationship or not? Yeah, what's the relationship? That's my father. Okay. My father, Gordon. And that's okay. all you need? That, that's usually all I need. Okay. And then I, I usually take a, 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 a few moments. Uh, well, when I'm walking, it takes yeah. longer than that. You go and walk, you do the, the full deal. And uh, we'll follow up with an interview. You let me know when you're ready to tell me what you came up with or what your spirit friends and spirit guides have told you, okay? Sure, yeah. Hey, Bruce, I've, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, happy Halloween. And how can people get the happy book? Halloween. And uh, do you have a website? Tell us uh, how we can get a hold of you, get the book, all that stuff. Sure, thank you. Um, the website is, is uh, bruceolavsolheim.com, and my middle name is spelled O-L-A-V. The book is available on the gigantic uh, Amazon. <laughs> of course. Uh, that, that's where it's available. And, uh, yeah, so they, they can stay updated with that. I'm also on, on Facebook. If they want to look up uh, Timeless Paranormal, you'll see my Facebook page with all kinds of information about what's going on. And, and uh, yeah, so that's how they can stay up with it. And um, I, I hope everybody has a happy and safe uh, Halloween. Like I said, it's my favorite holiday. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great time to... Uh, to, to consider the fact that, you know, that we are timeless and that uh, there is a spirit world and we are not alone. Our, our, our relatives that are gone are not all the way gone. They, they are available and protecting us and watching us. Very positive message. I love this stuff. Bruce, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing what you found out about my dad. I, I will do that as soon as I can, Hal. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.